Hey everybody, I'm Drew Wilmisher, and you're listening to the Wilmisher Music Podcast. <laughs> Such a dumb radio voice. <laughs> W-I-L-M-E-S-H-E-R-R That's how you spell this awesome name, and you say it, Wilmisher. W-I-L-M-E-S-H-E-R-R I'll sing some songs if you sing along while I play this here guitar. W-I-L-M-E-S-H-E-R-R That's how you spell this awesome name and you say it will sure. On today's episode, I interview Reverend Bethany Benz Whittington. She is a Presbyterian pastor in Maryville, Tennessee. She also works on online curriculum and sending out lessons for churches to use on a wide variety of biblical topics. She is a scholar, a presenter, a preacher, and all-around good person. She and I have actually known each other for almost seven years now, seven or eight years, and uh, she and her husband uh, have been really great friends to me and my family. Uh, We both have kids about the same age. They get together often and play. And uh, we just had a really great time catching up and talking with each other about creative living and how to work in non-traditional ministry settings that don't look like a traditional congregation. Speaking of, I have some news. Uh, Every Thursday night, I will be going live either on Instagram or TikTok. On Instagram, you can find me at Wilmisher Music. On TikTok, you can simply find me at Wilmisher. But every Thursday night at 7 p.m., I'm going live with some music and stories, so please be sure to join me there. Also, you can check me out on all major streaming platforms. Enjoy today's conversation. For people who don't know you, for people who did not go to seminary with you, uh, I want to introduce uh, the Reverend Bethany Benz Whittington, uh, pastor within the Presbyterian Church USA and longtime friend of Wilmisher and the Wilmisher family. So welcome. Thank you. Hi. I'm so glad to get to do this. This is this is so fun. Can I introduce you now? You can, yes, please. I don't I don't have anyone on my end to introduce me. So <laughs> Yeah, so and if anybody can do it, it's me. So um friends, welcome to the podcast. The almost reverend Drew Wilmisher, longtime friend of the Reverends B dubs and um Uncle Joe to our three-year-old. <laughs> because the DR is a hard <laughs> It's real hard. It's real hard. It is. Yeah. I'll be, I'll gladly be an uncle Joe. I was telling your husband when we were visiting, I've got an uncle Ed. I've got an uncle Lee. I had an uncle Lee. Uh, I've got an uncle Bob. uh, And I had an uncle Danny, you know, and he was almost, you know, so just, you could have been Dan, you know, just one syllable. Everyone needs just a one syllable uncle. Yeah, it's true. I I agree. I had an uncle Keith and an uncle Scott. I mean, I still have both of those uncles. Um, Who knows for how much longer? They're not terribly healthy. Um, And then an uncle Tommy and an uncle David, but also an uncle John. Um, Your name is Robert Andrew. Yes, I am painfully Presbyterian. You really are. It's just... Very much. Yeah. We were, I think we told you this this weekend. Um, we were driving one time and I was just looking out the window and I said to Matthew, if we ever have a son, I really don't want to name him Tyler. 
was like the most random thing I <laughs> ever said. And yes, indeed, my husband's name is Matthew Tyler. And I had entirely forgotten. So. <laughs> uh, uh, why would we have? Oh, because uh, we already have one. Who You don't want two. Right. That, that's that's already our thing. So why I said yeah. that. We don't, we don't do family names. <laughs> so, dear listeners, uh, our son's name is Leo, not Tyler. <laughs> and I love, you know, when I was up there, I noticed in y'all's bathroom uh, in the hallway there, you've got uh, two little plaques, basically, for your son and your daughter. Uh, yep. Your son is three and your daughter is, how, 18 months? Uh, no, she's four, almost 14 months. 14 months. Or she I, just turned 14 months. Yeah, she's a little over 14 months. Yep. And uh, I love in the bathroom, you've got, you know, the the plaque for Leo and then a little lion figure and then the plaque for Georgia and a little Ruth Bader Ginsburg figure. Um, it was just, it was very inspiring, you know, while I was brushing my teeth, like, yeah, these kids are going to be all right. Yeah, these kids are going to be all right. They've got I will also say that the, the, the lion for Leo makes sense because it's the Latin word for lion, but... Um, if you don't know, our daughter's middle name is Ruth. And so the little Ruth Bader Ginsburg bobblehead is her, uh, yeah, that's her, her thing. And I, I feel, I feel a little bad. Like we named this poor child, Georgia Ruth. Like she's got, a, that's a lot to live up to. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, we named, we named Leo after Leo McGarry from the West Wing. So he also has a lot to live up to, but at least his are fictional, right? His is fictional. <laughs> That's true. Like you, I mean, now you can both, you can absorb both of the extent of their lives. It's true. You, know, you can yes. read, but there's, um, it's true. It's true. You, you really set the bar high. Uh, we did. And we did. As, I think as long as you can remind your kids that they are their own person, uh, just, you know, find inspiration where you can. Yep. Well, and that, I think, I think we also talked about that this weekend that um, I want my kids to have a happy childhood. If they are going to be in therapy as adults, which hopefully they will because therapy is amazing. It is. Um, and is, is really good for many of us. Um, that, I love my therapist. Right. Like I had a great one in seminary who, um, I've reconnected with recently and I can't wait to get started. Like it just, it was such a good fruitful time for me, but when the kids go to therapy as adults, I want them to be able, like their therapist is going to say, tell me about your childhood. And I want their poor memories to be things like that time we all went on a picnic together or that time the Wilmishers visited or, you know, like those kinds of things and not um, that time my mom spanked me, which is one of mine. So, <laughs> sure. Sure. I mean, I have vivid memories of the spanking spoon, which yeah. was really just a wooden mixing spoon that my mom happened to have the Ugh. one time that, you know, she, and it wasn't even like, I also distinctly remember laughing while she was doing it because she would, she was so half-hearted about it. She's like, I know I need to discipline. This is what I want to do, but not really, not yeah. really. And then she said, so, all right, keep laughing. And then we'll see what happens when your dad gets home. And for some reason that terrified me. I was like, no, don't. My dad never touched any of us. Like he, was, he did not, the corporal punishment was not in his vocabulary. <laughs> there was never any wait until your dad gets home in my house. 
Um, I grew up, I mean, I grew up in a very egalitarian family. Like my parents really did um, not just like split the work, but, but uh, they were each other's helpers and, you know, whatever mom was doing, dad would jump in and help whatever dad was doing. Mom would jump in and help. It was, a, it was, it was more than egalitarian. It was a, it was very much a team. Um, but there was never any wait until your dad gets home. Cause I, I don't think there was, you know, I, some of my memories are, are tragic and, and traumatic, but there was never an intent to scare. Right. Right. And I appreciate that. Like I can, I've had many conversations with my parents about the many ways that they failed because they're boomers and, you know, they grew up in a different era and were taught different things from what we're, we're being taught now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they look back and recognize the things that they shouldn't have done and have apologized. And that's lovely. Um, but to their credit, there was never an intent to scare. Like, we don't want to scare you into submission, right? right? <laughs> and of course, the difference now is I don't necessarily want my kid to submit. I don't want you to be right. submissive. Like, I don't, I want you to have a healthy skepticism of authority because authority is capitalism and capitalism sucks. So, <laughs> the end. <laughs> Just Am as I making as it you, hard for you to sell things if I say things like that on your podcast? I mean, I think people can make up their own minds about okay, what good. they do and don't want to sell. Also, merch is probably like my weakest point because yeah. um, all I've got right now are like hats and T-shirts and stickers and like who doesn't, you know, yeah. I think I think corporate retreats have better swag than I do. Um, so I'm not I'm not terribly upset about that idea other than. Um, you know, just as long as you can communicate the consequences for that healthy skepticism, say when they say, but why do I have to pay for this as uh-huh. they're walking out the door? You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I hadn't thought of it that way, but yeah. now that you put it in that <laughs> like, question authority. Up, up to a point. <laughs> point. I mean, yes, capitalism is evil. It's also how we eat. So, like, you it's know, the, it's the ocean we swim in, right? And like, it and is the one ocean of the things. It's like dirty ocean, of, but <laughs> the plastic island. Um, one of the things I've tried to communicate with the college students I've worked with recently has been this idea that. Capitalism allows you to do a lot of things. There are so many things you're allowed to do um, to make the most money. But capitalism doesn't require that you do all you can do to make the most money. Um, I I think of like the Dave Ramsey interview a few months ago where he said about his properties and the rising rents, you know, uh, rates of rent on his properties. And he was saying, listen, I didn't evict people. The market evicted people because they couldn't keep up with the market. And and then there was all this backlash on social media. Like you, you get to decide. Right. (laughs) You're not beholden to the market. The market didn't right. force you to raise the rents on the property you own. Right. Um, so, so you, so I just said, you know, you you can participate in capitalism. You don't have to win capitalism. Right. That's a really good way of putting it. I was at the grocery store this morning. 
And one of the workers uh, was wearing a t-shirt given to them by the company mm-hmm. that on the back that said frontline hero. And I was like, cool. So big, large grocery company. Uh, did you give them a big pay raise? Did you, you know, give them extra vacation for working through the pandemic? Any, no, just a t-shirt that right. says frontline hero. Yeah. So <laughs> I had a friend right. who said, anytime your occupation is referred to as hero work, you're not getting paid enough. You know that they're being exploited. That's what, I mean, it's, it's a tragedy and, but it comes from this mindset of having to win capitalism. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In whatever so. ways, you know, we can not just save money, but save the profits. Uh-huh. I have to answer to my shareholders. It's an interesting conversation happening now about like antitrust laws uh-huh. and uh, things that we were learning about in history books, you know, 20, right? 25 that, years Like ago. the robber barons from the very beginnings of America and, right. you know, the Rockefellers <laughs> and, and like, and now we're, and now it's the Musks and the Bezoses and like they're going to be in the history books having having had laws made because of some like really shady things they were doing. Right. That's, yeah. that's a really good <laughs> it's, like. I, <laughs> it's one thing to have a policy named after you at like a golf course like all right no golf cart polo. Or at a Montessori. Or at a Montessori school that says yeah. okay. Now there's no throwing rocks at all. Exactly. Just because your three-year-old has, you know, a rookie of the year style over overpowered arm. Yep. And can <laughs> throw it throw rocks over the fence into the neighbor's yard. It's another thing to have an entire economic policy <laughs> named after named you. Named after you. And it's not like uh what was the economic policy from the uh, the melt, the market meltdown in 2008. Oh, right. Like, uh, you know, you know when, when they said, okay, no more predatory lending. Right. You know, There's they, a name for that. Book. I can't come up with it. I know <laughs> they, well, fortunately, fortunately, this isn't an economics podcast. So, Yay! so we don't have to know the that. names of things. We'll go look it up later. I'll put we'll it in the show notes. Yeah. <laughs> Appreciate someone, that. Someone fact check. Someone's going to want to know. That's so, right. dear listener, we're very sorry. <laughs> That's right. We'll post an update in the next episode, uh, you know, retracing. Yeah. Or <laughs> or what's actually happening is somebody's listening to this right now and they're screaming at their listening device, telling us the name of it because we just can't come up with it. That's right. Sorry to that person in particular, whoever you are. We're very sorry. That's right. You can find us, uh, find Wilmisher on socials at Wilmisher Music. But um, also Dodd-Frank. It was Dodd-Frank. Dodd-Frank. There Dodd, is Dodd-Frank. Dodd-Frank. Okay. So we did it. I knew it would. I knew it would. Now we can also, save our messages for something else. Well, <laughs> the chances that that is wrong mean you could have some other kinds of messages. So we won't give out my socials. <laughs> you know, honestly, as long as people are participating, that's all I, you know, I'm just glad that they're listening. Is that like a, like a no press is bad press kind of mentality? Yeah. You know, it's kind of like when I was in youth ministry, you know, if a middle schooler was like, Hey, Drew, 
we need help in the bathroom. I'm like, I'm just happy you know my name. Let's go. All right, let's go <laughs> fix it. What 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 did you break? <laughs> I don't care. You know, you felt safe enough to ask for my help. Felt safe enough to ask for my help. And, and, and you that you, is everything. And you knew my name. And uh-huh. you know, you're in seventh grade. So this is I, I feel like we're overcoming a lot of hurdles. Indeed. Indeed. Yes. Good for you. Good for you, Drew. I'm so proud of you. The things that have come up have been like, we shook up a two liter of Dr. Pepper and filled up the back of this toilet with it. Um, that's so a, when they said there's a problem in the bathroom. It was a fizzy toilet bowl <laughs> that wouldn't go away until the whole thing was flushed. <laughs> and it was one of those water saving bowls. So like it filled up, but oh then dear. it did not use in a lot of water with every flush. So like we are flushing Dr. Well, Pepper for the next you gotta, hour. You got to do the poop flush. It didn't have, no, this was early on. This was, oh, it on. was just a low flow. It, it uh, didn't have the, the two button system where it's like a little water, a lot of water. No, uh, I wish, I wish yeah, that would have been amazing. That's a real uh, problem. <laughs> it was, it, you know, and I felt so conflicted because I was like, well, on the one hand, I'm glad we're saving water in a couple of ways. Um, on, the <laughs> on, other the hand, other, on the other hand, I do not need this Dr. Pepper geyser springing out of the, the boys' bathroom in the basement. You know, I'm not mad about a Dr. Pepper geyser. But from the toilet. It was like a Dr. A Pepper bidet. That's a fair point. You know, it's you're a, just... It, it, you're just but, sticky. But think about it. <laughs> Anywhere else, Dr. Pepper Geyser, yes, please. That's, can, you, yeah. can you imagine how much money you could make? Like if there was a Dr. Pepper National Park that, nope, but I don't like, ugh, like on the one hand, this is capitalism again, right? But on the other hand, I very much want to see a Dr. Pepper Geyser coming out of the ground and just like hold my cup out. Well, you say that because it's interesting. The Dr. Pepper Museum in Waco, Texas, uh, it's not like the Coca-Cola Museum where it's just an ode to how much money they've made. It's just a real small little museum that looks like an 1860s, uh, like apothecary pharmacy, you know, soda jerk bar. And then they've got the original well that they drew the water from. And it was it was like a little natural spring well. Um, so that is essentially how Dr. Pepper started was as a geyser. Of That's good. I love that story. I love knowing that. Also, it occurs to me that in the original Coke museum in Atlanta, they actually did have flying Coke. They did. I remember that. Yeah, remember they did. They don't have that anymore. And you're right. It's just now it's just a, a shrine to how much money Coke has made. It used to be awesome. Mm-hmm. The old one was amazing, and My, now it's just capitalism. Freshman year of high school, I wound up going to senior prom somehow. I don't, I don't know how miracles or miracles happen, y'all. Um, but I, I, it was at the Coca Cola Museum, the old Coca Cola Museum. The old downtown. one. Yep. Oh. Yep. Way back in 2002, 2003. <laughs> That's awesome. It was. It was. We just, we, the dance floor was, they had this gigantic wall of soda fountains, you know, like the world's largest quick trip, but it was Coke. It was sodas from around the world. And so it was things like, here's a bitter melon soda. Here's a dragon fruit soda. Um, yes. You know. I, I remember all of those things. And most of them were disgusting. 
they did not appeal to my American palate at all. Yeah. <laughs> I was yeah. like, I am not going to have any of that, I'm but I'm not glad thrilled with this. That the market <laughs> research somebody made this. So. But you know what is amazing? Tell me. Mexican Coke. Oh, so good. Like. Glass I, bottle, not, real sugar. Yes, please. I'm not sure there's anything better. Like, that and what's known as Dublin Dr. Pepper, which is sort of the same thing where it's it's made in Dublin, Texas, and they use cane sugar instead of corn syrup. And it All is. right. Well, I'm going to need to try this now. You do. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I didn't know about Mexican Coke because yeah. being from Atlanta, mm-hmm. um, we are inundated, right, with all of the most current stuff, the co- the most current Coke stuff, right? Including that stupid museum, um, <laughs> which I also love um, because the commercials, oh, the commercial room. I love the commercial room. Anyway, uh, so, you know, Atlanta was the first one to get new Coke and Atlanta was the first one to get Coke classic. And, and so like those on and on and on. Right. And so, it took moving out West for me to learn about Mexican Coke um, because it's, it's ubiquitous out there. It's everywhere. And, um, and I reached into a a refrigerator at a, um, at a restaurant and grabbed one. And I said, I'm going to have a Coke and had no idea what it was. I was pulling out of this refrigerator. Oh, you weren't even expecting it. I wasn't even expecting it. And it, Honest to God, best surprise of my life. Now, I, I do have to ha- add a caveat to that to say that my my very best friends in the whole world showed up at my house this week as a surprise. And that was also an amazing surprise. But I tell you what, that first sip of Mexican Coke oh, no uh, without knowing that it's going to be Mexican Coke, like. <laughs> right, because that's that's a lack of expectation and a first experience. You know, that's we, true. I've seen you before. We came to your house and then you instantly like you were able to put it together. OK, I know what to expect out of this now. Um, yes. Yes, that's true. That's a really good point that you make. So it's like they, they're they they're not comparable then. No. Like one is the best of this kind of surprise and the other is the best of this kind of surprise. And so they're still both the best. Yes. What I appreciate about this conversation, uh, not just how natural it is because we're such good friends, but also uh, I feel like this taps into a little bit of, you know, who you are and your your mission That's um, true. as a pastor and as a person. Um, yeah. You know, I, I mean, tell people a little bit about how you got here, you know, because you do, you have a very interesting story. I, I well... <laughs> Uh, a long and meandering, uh, that's for sure. So, um, it's funny. I actually have a, a, a pretty short answer to this because I had a, I told you about this. I had an interview last week, like just for funsies, like just to keep myself fresh. And they said, tell us about your faith journey. And man, I just like, I am able to pump that out now, you know, my 92nd answer, um, the elevator pitch elevator pitch, the elevator faith journey. Um, <laughs> right. So uh, um, I won't do all of the 
cradle Presbyterian stuff, but like, uh, you can't see me right now. You can drew, but other people can't see me. I have my Presbyterian cross shirt on, um, because I am just that nerdy of a Presbyterian. Um, so yeah, cradle Presbyterian PK, my grandfather was pastor, all those things. Right. So, um, when I was in college, I was trying to figure out what I was going to major in. And my dad, uh, wise, wise human that he is, he said, well, what do you want to do? Like, not what do you want to be, but what do you want to do? And I said, I want to make the world better. I want to make the world a better place. And he said, oh, you want to go to seminary? And of course I'm like, dad, whatever. Um, but also of course he was right. Um, so I had a little, another bit of a winding path to get to seminary, but I said, while I was in college, I said, I think I'll go to seminary around the time I'm 28. And for no other reason than college plus a few years equals 28. Right. And I had this idea that you need to work for a few years. You need to get some, some like real life, quote unquote, experience under your belt. Um, you need to uh, kneel at the gods of capitalism in order well, to understand. <laughs> and that's a thing that we sometimes hear from pastors. You know, they say, oh, I wish I had gotten some yes. you know, external yes. experience. Some yes, outer, indeed. Outer, outside of church experience before going to seminary. Right. So if you're a person thinking about going to seminary uh, this far into my ministry, I can tell you that those couple of years were in the, in the general public workforce didn't really change anything. <laughs> I was just a little bit older. Um, so, so yeah, I just, it was a pretty arbitrary number 28. Uh, and then on my 28th birthday, um, it was like, it, it was like a lightning strike. Like it's time go now. I like it, it knocked me over. It's time go now, go to seminary. So, um, so I got started, I got the application process done. I started in the spring, which was dumb. Don't do that. <laughs> um, but, uh, but then I started Greek school in the summer and that was when I met my husband, um, who was a very, very goofy dorky, nerdy 23 year old at the time. Um, and he still, he still likes to tell me that the first time he saw me, he said, I'm going to marry her. And I, I still don't believe him. I think that's dumb. Um, (laughs) but he tells me that that's how it went. Um, and so we uh, we got married right before the end of seminary, and have have been on a journey since then. Uh, we have been uh, across the country a couple times and back, um, like living on the other side of the country and then back, and then living there again and then back. Um, we have where, thoroughly- where where did you live across the country? Um, we lived in New Mexico. And uh, from Atlanta, we went to, to New Mexico and then came back to Florida and then went to Colorado. And now we're in Tennessee. So we didn't make it all the way to the West Coast, but that's okay because it's on fire. Um, it's a little on fire. A lot. It's a little on fire, although New Mexico is currently on fire. So, um, 
Um, so yeah, we've we've done a lot of uh, crisscrossing of the country and kind of uh, seeing seeing what we have wanted to see. And then we had babies, and so you know, there's a little less flexibility <laughs> when you have babies. We could do whatever we wanted. We could be poor. We could not have jobs. We could travel. We could do whatever when we were. Uh, uh, just the two of us. But now that there's four of us, we have to be a little bit more um, discerning about things because capitalism. Um, so I have served now three churches. I, I like to say three plus um, because I've done, uh, like I did a bridge pastor that I don't really consider you know, working at that church. Like I was there for six months. And so, um, um, and all of them have been an adventure. Um, and, and what it has come to for me is that I am no, I am not called to do parish ministry. That is not my, it's not my calling. Um, and I'm fine with that. I don't, I also don't have any desire to do parish ministry. Um, I may find myself back there one day because again, I have a family that I have to provide for and capitalism dictates that, you know. So um, you're right. This was a really good, this whole conversation was a really good intro to who I am. (laughs) (laughs) You're you're absolutely right about that. Um, I am a radical leftist anarchist kind of person and the wanting to make the world better still holds true. That is like, that's the, the, the thread that has, um, has, has been true through my life. Um, and so the, the thing that I'm working on right now, I'm actually a couple of things. Um, um, I was a little disappointed in myself because all of my big ideas are denominational. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there are ways that the PCUSA needs to be better and, but that's my affinity group. That's a, that's a place that I can have, um, some effect. And so I had to, like, I had to work myself through this recently to say like, that's okay. It's still, um, a large system that is oppressive and, and, and needs to be, uh, it, it needs to be fixed. It needs to be changed. And I hate those words because really what it needs to be is like, it needs to die mm-hmm. so that there can be resurrection because you don't have resurrection until there's death. Right. So not afraid of death. And I, I'm, I'm happy for the denomination to die. Um, it's also terrifying because again, capitalism. So um, yeah, when you're, when you're dealing with a, a institution that has a, a board of pensions group, Right. I but I do like health. I mean, our institution (laughs) has more money than God. So, and that's a huge, that's a huge problem too. It's an enormous problem that we have as much money that as we do. Mm Um uh which is a a different issue entirely than where I'm going. Um, but somebody I heard from someone recently say, um, you can't policy your way out of oppression. Mm -hmm. Um, but then in that very same context, uh, it was at a conference, um, another person said to me, well, Ibram X. Kendi says that's the only way you get out of, is to policy your way out of oppression. And I was like, well, now what do I do? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Like this person was a, this was, um, um, oh, what's her name? Um, What's her name? 
why can't I come up with her name? She's amazing. Um, Asian American pastor, uh, a PCUSA pastor in Baltimore, I think. Um, she was the vice moderator a number of years ago with Heath Rada. Um, and again, someone is yelling at the at their device right now, right? That's so, right. Um, she was the one who said, you can't policy your way out of oppression. And I was like, yes, you're, yes. And then someone else was like, but Ibram Kendi in his book says that. And I was like, yes. So like, what do I do now? <laughs> um, but I want to, I want to change the system. Yes. Um, I want the, I want the system to be better. And so a couple of things that, uh, that I'm working on, the big one right now is family leave. Was um, that, uh, uh, sorry, was that Larissa Kwan Abatia? Larissa, yes, yes. She is fabulous. Um, and we also have a really funny um, connection that if we have time, I'll share with you. But um, yeah, Larissa is amazing. Um, and she's the one who said that. So, um, so the, the big thing that I'm working on right now is family leave. Um, it has been mm-hmm. my, my baby for six years at this point, I think. Um, and the pandemic really put a, put a damper on that, which was stupid because people really could have used a little bit of extra family leave during the pandemic. Right. Um, I also so, see it as like a good case study because ooh. So working from home, it was like that half and half. Uh, uh-huh. So oh, now, we, now we've got a few years to see like, all right, what is the impact on children when their parents can be home more often? Right. And I mean, I'm, I'm working from home and uh, I also consider myself a stay at home parent. Like you're working from home. Um, and I feel very confident that my children are going to be uh, a lot healthier than perhaps I was. I was a latchkey kid, which I don't think hurt me all that much. I, I don't think latchkey is bad, um, right. but we can talk about that in a different context. Um, so yeah, uh, there's all this research that has been done about family leave and um, and and we like collected all of it. And I put it into one document and I took it to the general assembly and they were like, we need to study this more. And I'm like, I have done the work for you. Here it is right here. Like I'm handing it to you on a silver platter. Mm, we need to study this more. Um, it feels like every magazine article that's like, I did this for 30 days. So you don't have to. Right. Yeah. Or I did the research. So you don't you know have what, to. You know what it actually feels like is when an expert on any subject tells you about that subject and then someone with google says actually that's what it feels like um so welcome to you know being a a woman um uh the other thing that i realized that was in 2018 so four years well i've been working on it longer than that but that was the general assembly that it went to Mm -hmm. um that was also the year that I got a look at the inner workings of the system mm-hmm. and how the system will do anything to maintain the status quo. Um, 
there were backroom meetings to get to kill family leave um, that that I happened like it was ugly yeah. and and I got I got a really good look at how much the system loves the status quo, even when the people running the system are those same minoritized uh, people who will benefit from this policy. Mm-hmm. Still, we have we, maintaining the status quo. So it's like women in the service of patriarchy, right? Or um, um, black people in the service of white supremacy. Um, let's talk about the cops in Uvalde who everybody's like, no, they can't be racist. They couldn't. It's not because they were brown kids. They're all brown cops themselves. But it was like being a cop comes before the color of your skin. So being a cop is in the service of white supremacy, right? And so time after time after time, that's what we do. Um, so that was what I came, really came to understand at that assembly. I have been a GA junkie since I was 19. Yeah. Um, um, and I am 39 now. So that's 20 years. I can do that math. That was easy math. You did it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, And, and I never quite got that piece of it. Um, uh, So, and that's a lot of where a lot of my radicalization happened um, was, was trying to do something good, trying to do the right thing, do a good thing that would help people. And I like, and, and the, the, you know, the, the infuriating part was that it wasn't even for me. Mm. Um, I had a decent family leave policy in my terms of call at the church that I was serving at the time. Mm. Um, And by decent, I mean, 12 weeks paid. Um, It should should be a year. Um, but we're not Canada, we're America. So, um, we're never going to get on that train. Right. Um, what is it in New Zealand? Like up to two years? Is it? That's Mm -hmm. fancy. Good Mm -hmm. for them. Um, this, I mean, studies show that children who stay home with their parents for the first two years of their life are, uh, are more secure in their relationship with their parents and therefore healthier as adults. So yes, that's an appropriate, an absolutely appropriate amount of time. Um, so, but it wasn't, it wasn't for me. It was because I had this thing and I said, everyone else should have this too, that I went and, and tried to make this happen. Um, and instead of, you know, doing anything, they said, let's form a task force. So fortunately I knew a couple of people that got, uh, uh, elected to the task force and I called them up and I was like, here's all the research that I've done. And, uh, so they, the task force is coming to the assembly and that's like my big, big thing. Like this has to pass. Um, so, Uh, And then I'm also starting my own business because uh, the thing that I have come to come to understand about myself and my calling is that I'm really, really passionate about education. And during the pandemic and and who knew I did not expect that of myself. I, Mm -hmm. I I did not see that coming. Um, But during the pandemic, I, uh, just as an aside, because this is why I don't have a job. Um, I got laid off at the end of my maternity leave. So, uh, uh, 
they did bad things. And so I forced them to give me seven months of severance. And so I had some free time. Um, so the pandemic started and all of my pastor friends were completely burned out trying to just do their jobs. Right. Mm-hmm. And pandemic pastoring was really hard. And so I said to a bunch of friends of mine, let me do your education for you. Like pay me a little bit of money and I will, I'll create a class and that all of your people can come to on zoom. And all you have to do is, is say yes. That's all you have to do. And I will do all the rest of the work. And it has been so life-giving, so phenomenal. I have loved every minute of it. I've done it for, um, you know, just a handful of, of pastor friends at this point. Um, I'm really only just now getting into like doing big marketing and um, trying to get my, like have a further reach, um, oh, which is hard yes. as it turns out. And expensive. Um, but I just like, I want to do, I, I want to be able to take that off of my friend's plates. Yes. Um, so many of my friends are pastors and so many of them have worked so hard through this and are completely burnt out or exhausted. And I've got, I've got a minute. So like, let me, let me do this for you. Yeah. Um, so it started as like offering rest and respite, really respite care, um, to, to my pastor friends. Um, and it has just kind of grown from that. I still want to like, I still want to offer you rest, but I also want to, um, offer your budget some rest. And if you can't (laughs) afford a full-time DCE, like maybe you can afford $5,000 a year and I will just do your Sunday school, you know, that kind of offer some, some rest for your, uh, for your budget. Um, and it has been so much fun. I'm enjoying myself immensely. Um, it's a lot of hard work, which I didn't not expect. I, so I have long-term goals too, right? Like awesome. um, doing Sunday school and doing um, midweek classes, those kinds of things, writing curriculum that's just plug and play, offering webinars, doing um, um, really good video series that uh, that you can stick into your, that you can like give to your Sunday school class. Well, Bethany, uh, we are at a part of the show, which I'm experimenting with calling like cold brew or the cool, cool down round. Um, these are just questions that I ask everybody. Um, I am a songwriter and a a musician. And so I do a lot of creative writings, uh, exercises on my own. Um, I've got a whole wall of, uh, ideas in front of me that are based off of those exercises. Uh, Uh, I can't turn the camera around. (laughs) Otherwise I'll take a picture of it later. Okay. That'd be good. Um, You text me later. Put it in the show notes. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. (laughs) So the show notes are doing a lot of heavy lifting this episode. (laughs) We're real sorry about that. (laughs) (laughs) You'll enjoy it on YouTube. Um, So, you know, when I think about, uh, stuff that I'm working on. Um, you know, I just, I just released a song called you get me, which is Um, so good. Thank you. Uh, I had a lot of fun writing it. Um, if only because like I kind of, I went a little overboard on the front end with like a little clever 
writing things like I'm going to use a bunch of alliteration. I'm going to use a lot of internal rhyme. Um, and then when I was done doing that, I was like, oh, wait, the song still has to make sense. Um, <laughs> okay, let me, yes. let me go ahead and erase this and I'll, I'll try again. Um, yes. But one of the things that I always try to do is try and engage the senses as much as I can, you know, sight, sound, touch, taste, smell, um, you know, how the physical space feels, how the inside of your body feels. So like, what's a sense memory that you have from childhood that still sticks with you to this day? Like what's a, what's a smell that you have from childhood that brings you back every time you smell it? Oh, that brings me back every time I smell it. Um, peach cobbler. Ooh, nice. Yeah. We, um, I, I'm not sure why we are a peach cobbler family, but we are. Maybe it's because I grew up in the peach state. Um, but I mean, a lot of people grew up there and are not peach cobbler families, but we are. Um, and that was because peaches are a summertime fruit. Um, that was always my birthday sweet. Um, we did cake for everybody else, but um, which of course I also got to eat because I love cake. Um, and I always wanted cake for my birthday too. So there were definitely times we did both for my birthday. Um, but peach cobbler was, was my birthday thing. We always made it when we went to the beach or um, um, anytime there was some special thing happening during the summer. Um, I just, there is nothing better than a peach cobbler coming out of the oven and you eat it right away. You don't, you don't wait until it cools down. Like you, you scoop it out and put it in your face. Oh, peach uh, cobbler hot, especially with like a scoop of ice cream right on top of it. And then you'd eat it before that's a chance to cool, cool down. Disagree. Do, okay. Disagree. Do okay. not put ice cream on my peach cobbler. Nope. You, you know, uh, people can uh, be wrong and still enjoy things. <laughs> and still be beloved of I, God. I, I, I will choose to be wrong on this. Uh, oh, thank I, you. I like, you didn't I make like it me. Things. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, so, so that's no, you're a, a guest. You're a guest here. I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> that's a, a really, really good, happy sense memory that I have. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. What's like, do you remember the first time you had peach cobbler? Oh gosh, no. <laughs> it was just always around. Yeah. It as long, just as, always as long was. as you can remember. Yes. Yes. Never there was never there. a discover this for the first time. Like I remember just the first time I ate shrimp, mm. um, which is of course now one of my favorite foods. Right. Um, I remember the first time I had Brussels sprouts, which is another favorite food, but no peach cobbler has just always been, there was never a time when it wasn't, it's like God in that gotcha. way. Yeah. <laughs> it is a turtle. Uh -huh. It's yes. always been. Yes. Um, I remember we, Emily and I last summer, uh, we went out for the first time. It was our 10 year anniversary wow. uh, and it would pandemic time, you know, we're like things are opening up a little bit. So we ate outside, uh, on a porch at this restaurant in downtown Decatur, Georgia called, uh, revival. Um, and it's very much like an, a nod and an ode to, um, Southern cooking, um, mm. us American Southern cooking, which is like a lot of fried chicken, which was the best fried chicken I've ever had. Um, you know, collard greens, which was the best collard greens I've ever had. Oh. Uh, but we also, it came with a little bowl of coleslaw and it was this like really finely shredded, uh, just green cabbage and a very thin mayonnaise kind of dressing over it. 
Um, like it's nothing that you would think, oh, I'm going to write home about this. Right. Like that doesn't sound like cabbage to me, but I'm with you. Or it doesn't sound like coleslaw, but I'm with you. Yeah. Right. Like it, it's, it was, it's, it's different. It was a different yeah. type. And I remember eating it and I started crying um, because <laughs> it reminded me for some reason of my grandfather who passed away a few months after Evangeline was born. So it's been about three years now, mm. um, about this time. And uh, I, for whatever reason, it just reminded me and it, it tapped into a, a, a form of grieving that I just hadn't done yet. Um, you know, he was in his nineties when he passed away, he lived the whole, the whole life, you know, he, he did it. It was, it was a very natural kind of end, but it was still, you know, it was, it was goodbye and he's gone and it's hard. Um, and we, you know, there's, there's love there to give that just has nowhere to go. Um, and so well, but with Evie, I, mean, I you're had a Marvel, had, you're a Marvel fan, right? Huge Marvel fan. Yes. Just love persevering. Right. Yes. Yes. From WandaVision. I love uh -huh. that line. Oh yeah. my gosh. I feel like I saw that and instantly all of my socials, every pastor friend I had. Yes. Marvel socials blew this up. This is our new thing. Um, thank you. Marvel. I've used it. <laughs> I've used it in funerals. I used it at my grandmother's funeral. Yep. And, um, so what was, what was so interesting about that? Like I really had to tap in because it wasn't really a way that my grandfather made coleslaw. He cooked and he cooked anything and everything he wanted to. And so we, there were a lot of times we spent around the table growing up, but it wasn't like, oh, this is, you know, daddy Jack's coleslaw. It wasn't like that. So I was trying to figure out um, what it was. And it was like a good version of what you used to be able to get at uh, the P Piccadilly uh, cafeteria, yep. you know, you go in with your, three. your tray and your meat and three and you get your veggies and your meat and then you sit down, you know, and, uh, the, but I, I realized the only time that I've ever gone to Piccadilly was at the same time that other people about my grandparents age would go. And so, so I just, exactly 4 PM, uh, right before bedtime. And they would, <laughs> uh, they would get, you know, I got the coleslaw there. Um, and it was just kind of like a palate cleanser. Like it was, it was a, this nothing thing. But in that moment, I realized that, oh, this is like, this is tapping into a sense of memory around people who like wore the same cologne as he did yeah. uh, or, or talked the way he did, you yeah. know, or we would be on our way to visit them, um, you know, in between like lunch and dinner and we weren't mm -hmm. eating. And so maybe we had something there. Um, but it was just a, I, like, I didn't expect it. And so there I am on my 10th anniversary date with my wife crying over a bowl of coleslaw because <laughs> I'm thinking about my grandfather, you know, like. Because your any, love is persevering. It's love persevering. But I'll tell you, any pretense of romance right, went right out the window after that. We were like. Yeah, it was okay. pandemic times. <laughs> romance was just. Mm, mm. <laughs> yeah. Our, we we had our sixth and seventh anniversaries during pandemic and just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what you know what can you do so, and like maybe we put the kids down early tonight you know you were talking about um your new song and the way that you uh your your process for writing and um and the way that some of this has come about for you. Um, and so I was listening to your new song this weekend. Um, we had it on repeat in the car. Um, <laughs> and, you. you know, and I, and I have heard and used um, many of your other songs as well. And it finally occurred to me. Um, and we have also 
had conversations about the capitalistic nature of CCM, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and how what sells is not necessarily what's going to show up in a in a hymnal for a a, a traditional worship service, right? And right. so mainline denomination is not right. putting a hymnal right. together, thinking about you know the marketing person Becky, you know who right. is this person we're marketing to? There's and no so your and like your theological training and trying to find this balance of authenticity, but also what is marketable and sellable and all of these like things that are. And it occurred to me this weekend, you write Psalms. Mm. Mm-hmm. And, and that's really cool. <laughs> well, thank you. I mean, most of, most of the psalmnity that's out there is not really singable. Mm-hmm. Um, Michael Morgan's is, but it's because he sets all of his, uh, his Psalter to, um, classic tunes that are in the hymnal that we know it's not. Yes. Um, but you write Psalms and, and I, that we need more of that. (laughs) I think one of the things that I've been most influenced by is trying to get, um, middle school and high school students to pray and that's I, I know adults who can't pray like it, it's not limited by age, but this was the group yeah. I worked with and trying to figure out what are ways that I can teach people uh, how to converse with God. Like what kind of script can I get give people that is faithful and, mm. you know, not just bonkers off the wall theologically, mm. but um, but also taps into a relatable experience. You know, how can I keep mm. the experiences small, relatable, leave enough gaps for people to fill in, um, you know, their own stories? Yeah. Uh, I think about the song by the Beatles, Norwegian Wood. Um, and there's a line where he ta- the songwriter talks about, uh, I... I chopped up the wood. Isn't it good? Norwegian wood. We build a fire. Um, isn't it good? Norwegian wood. And it's like, all right, did they just build a fire in the fireplace or did an ex-lover burn a house down? Because both <laughs> could be true. <laughs> like it's just open-ended enough. <laughs> this is why this is why you are so good at things like that. Because you said, did they build a fire in a fireplace? Or, and in my head, or became... Or did they build a bonfire outside? (laughs) Right, yeah. (laughs) Well, what what are you working on right now? What are you excited about? Well, um, I am... You know, I'm, I'm doing all of those things, the working on the logo and the website and the social media and all that stuff. Um, but I am starting to develop my curriculum for the fall awesome. um, and working on selling that. Um, the, the two that I think are going to be the main ones that I offer, um, I'm going to do one on call stories. Mm-hmm. So... Um, uh, you know, start with the call of Samuel, um, do the, the women at the tomb, um, those, you know, biblical call stories. And then, um, um, and that one will be like a Bible study kind of, uh, kind of thing that I'll offer. And then, um, the other one is going to be on violence. Okay. Um, I am, I, I, you know, we talked about, um, 
the the mass shooting in Uvalde. And of course, before that, there was one in Laguna Hills. And before that was Buffalo. And then, of course, after Uvalde was Chattanooga. Like, it just keeps piling up and the bodies are piling up. And I am... I am heartbroken and enraged and have been for a really long time um, and have also been silenced in a lot of the places where I have had uh, the benefit of a pulpit, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Which is, it has been a lot of the reason that I have felt um, not called to parish ministry because um, I have more to say than than just let's love each other. um, I, I, I'm, I'm very into let's love each other by calling our Congress people and telling them to pass gun reform. Like that's my understanding of what the gospel means and what the gospel call is. Um, so I'm going to do a series on violence um, and, and it'll, uh, you know, this is, this is a ministry. And so it will be, um, uh, it will be based in biblical writings and extra biblical writings. And um, I haven't, I haven't quite, you know, I, I haven't put it together yet. And so I'm not sure what all it will entail. Hmm. Um, but I think it's important that we be talking about um, the ways that we can end violence in our faith communities. Um, just because uh, young people are not going to church in as big in numbers um, doesn't mean that churches aren't still full of people who vote. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and it's, it's, I think, very important that we take our faith into the voting booth. And my faith tells me, and yours should too, because we have the same faith, right? Mm-hmm. That, that guns should not be ubiquitous. They should not be everywhere. We shouldn't be able to just walk into a gun store and buy uh, military-grade weapons. Um, so that's a that's on the horizon for me. I'm also I'm I'm going to redo the Mary uh, lesson that I did for your you Kirk. Yes. Um, and I'm going to yeah. do it better this time. Yeah. Uh, well, our college students loved what you did, so. Did they? Uh, if it can get any better, I'd, that'll be that'll be exciting. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad they enjoyed it. Um, but I I really had fun with that one. I thought um, Mary is a central figure in the story of Jesus, and also there's been so much written about her, and yet she's still a mystery in a lot of ways. And so, like, let's dig in. And did the I think what I loved so much about it was that it was not just about biblical Mary. It was also about the way that she, the, the treatment she has gotten culturally. Oh yeah. Um, and that was, that was super fun as well. So, um, but because I've already done that one, I can offer it, have it available and it be, you know, just kind of a plug and play for me, which is fun. Um, so yeah, those are the things that are coming up for me. Also, I have, um, both of my kids are going to go to school in the fall, which is amazing. Um, and so I'll have a little more free time to do work. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I, I have to, you know, give a shout out to my beloved spouse, Matthew, who, uh, Many years ago, when I was at a church in Colorado, he had an idea and he said, your church should do this. And 
Um, and they liked the idea. Okay. Um, but nothing ever came of it. And so now that he is an installed pastor, he is in our little town building a little free village, which is going to have, you know, little free libraries, but with different things in them, food pantry things, um, clothing items, medical supplies, uh, uh, pads and tampons and diapers and formula and tools. Like he's going to have a little free hospital and a little free hardware store and a little free drugstore and just like a little free nursery, like all the things that, that cost money to live. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people can't afford those things. And so they have to pick and choose and, uh, they're, they're working on building that. And I am just so excited about it. I think it's one of the coolest things I've ever heard of a church doing. So, um, shout out to him. There's such a big impact too on like the quality of life for yeah. people in the community. Yeah. Um, that just, well, that, so many, so many churches do just the food pantry or right. just the, the clothing pantry or uh, the clothes closet or, you know, like the one thing, right. And that's great. Um, but his, his idea is about um, meeting a, a plethora of needs so that people don't have to choose not to buy their prescriptions that they need or, you know, like whatever money you do have, put it towards things that I can't help with, but I can help with this. We can help with this. So that's what we're going to do. And the hope is that it will reduce the number of people um, coming and asking for help with their electric bill or water bill or, you know, those rent even um, because they have a little more disposable income that they can use towards those necessities. Um, and, and, and it starts to even out in the community. And, and that's like the long-term, that's the hope. We'll see. That sounds but, awesome. I look forward to hearing more about that as that continues and gets yeah. off the ground. Well, they're a Matthew 25 church. So if you want to plug that on your podcast, you can have Matthew on. <laughs> well, that is a great uh, segue. Uh, one of the things that I hope comes out of this podcast is a greater awareness of things that are uh, important to people, but ways that uh, you know I and listeners of this podcast can help support each other. Uh, so what is a charity uh, that you... Uh, are really just plugged into that you would like um, Wilmashire to make a donation to? So you're going to make me choose just one. I'm going to get, well, yes, you can, you can say as many as you want, but what, you know, what's one? Well, then let me think out loud okay. about which one is, because the two that come to mind immediately are Planned Parenthood and uh, Every Town for Gun Safety or slash Moms Demand Action. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, like the Trevor Project is also a really important one and the ACLU does really amazing work. And so, and it's Pride Month. So uh, uh, any Pride organization would also be uh, a really good one. Does... Um, Let's let's go with every town. Yeah. Okay. Cuz okay. that's like my I am all about no more guns and so let's go with with that one. And uh do they have a, a website? everytown.org. everytown.org. All right. I just know I'm- that like what is this life? What is this <laughs> world that I just 
Let me make sure that's right. Yeah, it's everytown.org. Okay. Well, we will put uh, a link up and uh, I will make a donation to everytown.org. Um, Bethany, thank you so much for being a part of this uh, this podcast. Thanks for, for joining hey. me. Super fun. This I loved really fun every second of it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the best. Thanks again for listening to the Wilmshire Music Podcast. If you want, please tell your friends, tell your enemies, let people know about the Wilmshire Music Podcast. Say, hey, I'm listening to the Super Killer Podcast. It is easy to listen to, fun, casual conversations, nothing too heavy, nothing too light, just the right amount of density to make a morning commute go by better, to make an afternoon commute go by that much easier fun on the treadmill, fun on the rowing machine. Not so great when you're in the swimming pool, but otherwise leave a comment, leave a rating on Apple podcasts. Let me know what you like. I will read each and every single one of them. I promise. And as always have a great week.